Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, Cats at Night, and we have one great show for you today. And all I can say, TGIF. But we only have Democrats in the studio today. We have David Patterson, governor, and uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg. What happened to all the Republicans in the we studio? Scared them off. No, they're we okay. We it just must don't... be Friday. It must be off. We have to work Fridays. We don't make as much money as they do. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, Lydia Serrani, my sidekick here on uh, my right. And uh, by the way, uh, we have to congratulate congratulate Larry Kudlow. He was in California today. Uh, what a what he was he getting? National Review, the William Buckley uh, Public uh, Service Award. Wow. Well, congratulations uh, for having the number one cable show on uh, on Fox Business, uh, Larry Kudlow. And there was a big event in, in, in Berkeley, California. I mean, I was shocked. It's pretty awful what they've done is there's a group of nine student organizations that are having what they want to call a Jew-free zone at the law school. Imagine that, law students wanting to have Jew-free zones because they say that they want to protect the Palestinian students and they want to put them in a safe environment. Therefore, they have to exclude uh, Jewish members of the community. That, that includes horrible. Well, when you have our own members of Congress calling uh, Israel an apartheid state, I mean, are you surprised? The only democracy in the Middle East, that, that state? Unbelievable. Yeah. Why don't, they move, the, us, uh, why don't they move the uh, Jew-free zone to Palestine? Yeah. And they won't have to worry about it. Uh, we have uh, uh, Congressman uh, Lee Zeldin, our candidate for uh, Republican uh, for uh, governor. Of New York. Mm-hmm. Of New York. And, uh, Governor, there's so many things happening. Uh, how are you this Friday afternoon? Well, I'm doing okay, John. It's good to be with you and, and everyone else in the studio. Although I will tell you, I just came here uh, from... Queens uh, visiting the site where that tragic murder took place yesterday, paying my respects to the colleagues of Allison Russo Elling. And, uh, you know, we just have these amazing men and women who show up at work every day to serve the public. And 24, 25 years in the service, she was just going out on a lunch break. And she never made it back. That is and, horrible. Uh, this, now, they caught the gentleman? They caught the person that did it? Yes. And I understand he wasn't black, he wasn't Hispanic, so I can't blame you, David. Uh, no. He he appears he suffered from mental issues, he's a schizophrenic. I understand he's a Greek. He's a Greek. Um, he so, was, John, he was uh, known around the neighborhood for kind of wandering around. And this this lieutenant, she was only six months away from retiring. And oh I saw the God. video of the attack. That's so sad. She didn't stand a chance. This guy took, you know, caught her from behind and then threw her to the ground. He straddled her and he must have stabbed her at least 20 times. Oh, my God. A good Samaritan chased him to his home. He barricaded himself in his home. The good Samaritan called 911. The police got him out of there in an hour. Okay. Um, but while it was happening, there were some good Samar- good pe- people that trying just, to intervene. Well, no, yeah. uh, they, this one guy on the scooter just kind of kept on going. Lee, it's uh, Richard Weinberg. So what do we do with this kind of situation? How do we protect the innocent? How do we protect the public? Well, you know, there's so many different types of crimes that we hear about. And sometimes when you see a crime take place, you're you're talking about. Uh, why the individual was released. They previously committed offenses. The 82-year-old doorman who was attacked by a machete in Manhattan a couple weeks ago was attacked by someone who had been arrested and re-released seven times since March. 
Uh, we all were talking about the story of the guy who took an axe out of his backpack at the McDonald's on Delancey Street, and then it gets released, and you, you have a conversation about the Cashel's bail law and how a judge should have discretion away dangerousness. But then you also get the cases where the individual appears to not have a prior history. There's still more to learn about this person, who he was, but the, the initial reports that we're getting back we're not learning of how he was recently arrested, but he was released by some lax judge or some lax DA, or it was because of cashless bail. Uh, and then there's clearly a lot of people who are on our streets who are, are, this is beyond a conversation about just homelessness. We have individuals on our streets who are choosing to be there. We have others uh, who are walking the streets who have real mental health issues. There's a lot more to be done with regards to drug addiction and alcohol addiction and others who are emotionally disturbed. And uh, we just need to learn more about this person to see where, if at any point, the system was broken to, to deal with this, to catch it early. And unfortunately, uh, some type of a sign got missed. But we don't have that info yet. Congressman Lee Zeldin, clearly we have a crime problem here in New York. Uh, Governor Kathy Hochul is putting her head in the sand and she's standing by her stance that we don't have a problem and the stats show that bail reform is working. If elected governor, what will you do to to change this, to try, because it's the legislature that ultimately passed this ridiculous bail reform. What can you do to bring some sanity back to the streets? Well, plan A is to work with the legislature to try to make changes to cashless bail. And this isn't a Republican versus Democrat issue. The mayor of New York City thinks that judges should have discretion away dangerousness. And he's right. He's called for a special session up in Albany to make a change to cashless bail, to make a change with raise the age, another law where we have young teenagers who have their cases moved, not going to criminal court anymore, going to family court, but now they're being used to commit additional crimes. We've seen inside our correctional facilities where correctional officers and prison staff and inmates have been getting assaulted more since the April 1st implementation of the HALT Act. Plan A is to work with the legislature, the voters of New York, the will of the people, get an opportunity five and a half weeks from today to decide who they want to be their governor, who they want to be their state senator or their state assemblyman. And we all need to work together to make the streets of New York City safe again. The streets, the subways, homes, places of employment. People right now do not feel safe. And even if there's someone listening out there and saying, well, you know, that's ridiculous. I feel safe. Well, that's great that you feel safe. But unfortunately, there are others who aren't riding the subway. And if they do, they take their yarmulke off. Or maybe they don't ride at all. But if they do, they grab a pole or a guardrail because they're afraid of being pushed in front of an oncoming subway car. There is a crime crisis that has to be confronted head on. And if you want to be a state legislator, just like if you want to be a governor, you have a duty to do everything in your power to deal with it. This congestion pricing that they're trying to put into effect, the MTA is pushing it big time, but it's going to hurt every New Yorker. Every New Yorker, every borough, Nassau County, Suffolk County, Westchester County, Staten Island, I I mean, they're they're just taking the money and there's no guarantee that they're going to ever do anything with it. I oppose congestion pricing. It's being implemented right now. It is going to result in more trucks in the Bronx, more trucks on the Staten Island Expressway. You're going to have cars traveling through side streets in Brooklyn and Queens trying to get to other routes where they don't have to pay 
the fee. Uh, we've seen with the London example where they ended up with more congestion on a whole bunch of different side streets because of uh, similar issues to what I just described. Now, if you want more money for the MTA, if you want more people to, to ride public transportation, improve the experience. People need to feel safe. And, oh, by the way, there are individuals who are jumping their fare. You need more money for the MTA. Well, start enforcing that. There are ways, whether it's vendor contracts, overtime costs, the list goes on. You just need to make sure that the MTA is operating more efficiently. There's no better way to get more money into the MTA than to improve the service and to make it safe for all New Yorkers, including the people right now who are choosing not to ride it because of one and only issue. They are citing safety. Congressman Zeldin, these attack ads against you, they are they're pretty vicious. What is your response to the Democrats, Hochul, painting you as some kind of radical right wing nut job? Well, listen, you talk about the issues that we're discussing. Is it extreme to want to repeal cashless bail? Uh, is it is it extreme for me to want us to have multiple debates all throughout the entire state so the voters find out where we stand before they vote, not after? I believe that we shouldn't move forward with congestion pricing. I believe that right now spending in the state is out of control and they're funding it off one shots and that becomes the new baseline and then they want to increase taxes to pay for it and new yorkers are hitting their breaking point and fleeing because they're they're not affording life in new york we should have a debate over issues i listen i disagree with kathy hochel on a number of issues it's okay we live in this great country where it's okay to to disagree i'm not declaring that she's no longer a new yorker like she did with me i'm not demanding that she get on a bus and move out of state as she did with me. Let's have a debate. As far as these issues, and the the idea that uh, I, as governor, am going to be rolling back this uh, abortion law from a few years ago, there's a 0% chance that Speaker of the Assembly, Carl Hastie, is sending me a bill to roll back that that, uh, law at all. And the reality is, is that New York, they have codified far more than Roe, so that when we woke up the day after the Dobbs decision, the law in New York was exactly the same as when we woke up the day before. Kathy Hochul is going so hyperbolic with her messaging on this because there's an enthusiasm gap. People before we go for a break, because we're going to take a break, uh, yes, I see there's three major issues. Crime, uh, the uh, congestion pricing, especially downtown here, downtown uh, state. And the third issue uh, was they just signed a bill to get rid of um, uh, gas-powered cars by 2035, and by 2026, they want 35% to get rid of them. We, I mean, have they lost their mind? They have, actually. They have. I mean, it's it's impossible to do. Why do they, uh, why do, do they need the, the, I mean, they're going to destroy our country. I, I, look, if people want electric cars, they should be able to buy them. But to make it mandatory in in, in a few years? I mean, that's just plain crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the governor posted on social media an hour ago a picture of her in some electric vehicle as if she's not flying a plane or a helicopter to go to that press conference and driving her big black suburban to get her from the airport to where she then gets into the electric vehicle. I just feel like there's just a lot of hypocrisy here on this particular topic. We are all 
pro-environment. Well, uh, but the we are, well, well, I'm pro-environment, but it's got to be within a you know, reasonable amount of time where, where, where it could be done. But you can drill for oil and all these things and do it efficiently and clean. Okay. And New York actually has a ban in place that does not allow the safe extraction of natural gas. The southern tier is desperate for it. There are other counties that are desperate for it. There are pipeline applications in Albany that are being delayed and denied instead that should be getting approved. We need to bring down energy costs. It would create jobs. There's so much opportunity here in our own state to be energy independent. We could be delivering energy to other states. We could be delivering energy to other countries. Agreed. Congressman Zeldin, thank you uh, so much, and we'll catch up again real soon. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Uh, and on the line with us? Now we have Miranda Devine, a New York Post columnist, also the author of the book Laptop from Hell. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Miranda Devine. Thanks so much for having me again. Tell us, electric cars by 2026, 35%. I mean, should we, should we short General Motors now? I mean, it was $67 earlier in the year. It's down to like $30. It'll be back down to $3 and looking for bankruptcy, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's a joke, isn't it? There's no way. This is California. This is what California wants to do. That's the state where crazy ideas go to die. Well, speaking of crazy ideas, Miranda Devine, we just heard today that Norwegian Cruise Line will be parked at Staten Island to house a bunch of migrants. And that's in addition to the thousand that are going to be housed in some sort of migrant tent facility in the Bronx. You've been covering this story from day one with those secret flights coming into Westchester County. And even Bill Clinton himself said this on a CNN podcast. Take a listen. There is a limit to how many migrants any society can take without severe disruption and assistance. And our system is based much more on an assumption that things would be more normal. Miranda Devine, what's your reaction? Well, you know, thank goodness that somebody in the Democratic Party, even though he's a long gone, uh, Bill Clinton, understands the reality. And I mean, that was why he was president for two terms, really, because he comes from Arkansas. He grew up poor. He actually understands the way the world works. I don't know what Eric Adams' problem is, except that all he cares about is carrying favor with the the. Democratic Party in Washington and he's lying to New Yorkers because he's pretending that all this you know, sudden influx of migrants and the fact that homeless shelters are overwhelmed is because what, Greg Abbott sent up a few busloads, a few hundred? No, it's not because of that. It's because for over a year the Biden administration has been flying in, sometimes every single night. It's actually slowed right down at the moment. I haven't seen any for a week or two. Um, But these migrant flights coming in in the dead of night, hiding them, and then there's always three charter buses waiting for them when they arrive in Westchester and they take them to the tri-state area and just they vanish into the community. But they are obviously using community resources, whether they're homeless shelters or schools or hospitals, or I know that there were some that went into low-income housing owned by the city in the Bronx. And that is housing that's supposed to be for New Yorkers or at least for Americans, not for people who broke the law crossing the border as the very first act they did in this country. Well, 
Miranda, it's Richard Weinberg. I, I was at a lunch yesterday with the former Attorney General Barr, and I asked him the question, what do we do now when we have this influx by the hundreds of thousands and the millions, and it will keep going on and on and on while this administration is placed? How do we stop this, Miranda? Well, I'm interested. What did Bill Barr say? He said, look, we had a perfect plan in place. You had remain in Mexico, which is perfectly legitimate. It was consistent with uh, U.S. immigration law. And they were building the border until they got uh, defunded, to use a term of art that Democrats like to use, was defunded by the Democrats in, in Congress. He said it's a, it's a real problem. And, of course, there were rumors that if some of the Republicans get control of, of the House, they're going to bring that up for hearings and raise that issue about the Biden administration failure to enforce the immigration laws. Well, I mean, they're talking about impeaching Joe Biden over this next year. But, you know, in the meantime, there was a really golden opportunity for Republican leadership in the Senate, namely Mitch McConnell, to um, hold the Democrats over a barrel with funding. With this uh, stopgap funding measure, they could have done what Stephen Miller suggested, what um, McCarthy in the House agreed to do, which was not to sign off on any new funding unless it was attached to measures to stop this invasion at the southern border. And for whatever reason, Mitch McConnell and his leadership group just ignored that idea. And so, of course, it died. It went nowhere. They never used the leverage that they have. You know, sure, the Democrats are in power everywhere in Washington, but it doesn't mean that the Republicans don't have some power and they refuse to leverage that power to stop the border invasion. And it just makes you wonder why. Is it because their own donors, just like the Democrat donors, want Cheap labor. They want slave labor, even though it's illegal to hire illegal migrants. This is what they want. There's a there's a, a labor shortage, and Nancy Pelosi, as much as said it today, and what she is doing, which is just reprehensible, is blurring the distinction between illegal migration and legal migration. If we need more legal migrants then that should be a choice that the country makes. And then those migrants get properly vetted, whether it's for terrorism charges or criminal background or whatever it is, we should decide who comes. Breaking news, WABC. I think oh, we, we may have, lo- yeah, we lost Miranda Devine, um, but we'll try to get her back in, at another time. But right now we have some breaking news out of Florida. We have Jimmy Patron, Jimmy Patronis on. He's a CFO of the state of Florida, and he coordinated with all fir- first responders during the Surfside uh, collapse. Jimmy, how are you? He's going to give us an update. What's, what's going on in Florida? Great. We saw some very nasty pictures. Yeah, Mr. John, I tell you, uh, it's it's like nothing I've ever seen. So uh, my my job in my office, we coordinate all the first responders. So we did the Surfside building collapse. We did Hurricane Michael, Irma, and now this one. This storm is by far the biggest impact. Uh, it may be the biggest impact financially to the state of Florida because of just inflation and property values and where this storm landed. But um, but our urban search and rescue teams, they, they've touched over 6,000 homes uh, in the last 24 hours where they've actually touched them and visited them and there's nobody there, uh, they will do that till they touch all those affected. Um, and they're just they're doing amazing work. But 42,000 linemen are working right now in restoring power. FPNL's restored about a million homes in the last 24 hours and Duke about 650,000. Wow. 
And uh, uh, when do you expect to uh, to be back up in Sanibel Island? They 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 lost yeah. the entire causeway. Yeah, so so you're you're familiar with the causeway. There are parts of those causeways are, are, are earthen causeways, so there was washout. So the, the the actual bridges spans themselves are intact. So you know it's a matter of of repairing some of the earthen causeway, uh, and then the the landings on either side have to be shored up. Um, but the, the challenge you've got is is, is the, it is now an island, and the only way you can get to it is by helicopter. You can get there by boat, but we've got heavy equipment that we've got to get out there. We've got to get front end loaders to clear the roads. So uh, I mean, we we we've got a we've got a mess on our hands. But uh, the governor's doing an amazing job. He's working very hard. Uh, the county is you know just doing the best we can with uh, the extreme circumstances that we're faced with. And now the storm has made landfall in South Carolina as the Florida death toll rises. I, it's just unbelievable how catastrophic this storm was. Is yeah, I, I'm at, I'm currently in the Charlotte County Emergency Operations Center right now, and and you know Charlotte County it wasn't that long ago it was impacted by Hurricane Charlie. So a lot of the infrastructure here and also the building codes that were here were newer. So so it it, it weathered the storm better. Uh, Fort Myers Beach is probably the most catastrophic weather event of destruction I've ever seen in the history of, of, of monitoring disasters. Um, and I can I can get you some photos. I'll, I'll shoot them over to you. It's uh, it, I was I went out with Task Force Two last night and I met with them about eight o'clock and I was with them to about 11 o'clock at night and uh, these guys don't know the word stop um, they, they're they working hard but under extraordinary conditions just uh, devastating so far they're saying about 42 people died in Florida but millions remain without power what's the concern now for, for South Carolina because their infrastructure is, I'm just looking now at some video in Charleston you're seeing a lot of waters people like using their canoes to get down the streets it's uh it's it's frightening because they're not they're not prepared for something like this. No, and, and Charleston, I guess, dodged a little bit of a bullet because it wasn't a direct hit. You know, what we saw with Panama City with Hurricane Michael would have been a considerable threat to Charleston, where you've got lots of beautiful, majestic oak trees. They, they're hard to uh, to trim because people like the appearance they add, but they they bring catastrophic problems to the recovery process because of the debris that is caused. And when they go down and they're near a home, they'll destroy the home. So, um, you know, this is this was a big concern, but it sounds like at least by the preliminary understanding I had, Charleston dodged a little bit of a bullet, but it's still it's still bad. And uh, it's Richard Weinberg. So I wanted to ask you, how do local and state officials pre-plan for situations like this when they know that this kind of environmental event is, is coming your way? How do you deal with that? Sure. Sure. So, so the biggest thing is through, through changing in the building codes. So it, it's, it's amazing. You can drive down parts of uh, Fort Myers Beach and you can see the homes that were built in the last five years. They withstood the storm. The, the houses that were built 25 years ago, that were stick built 25 years ago, the only thing left is either the slab or or the stilts that the house was on. I mean, it just obliterates the houses. So, and that's all due 100% to storm surge. 
So, so one is is increasing the building codes that will drive up the cost per square foot. That will make homes less affordable. Uh, but this is one of the ways you make your insurance more affordable because the house is going to be more resilient to the inclements of weather and destruction. Now, what happens when you rebuild a house? You you keep your old mortgage at uh, at three percent, or you have to pay seven percent for the new mortgage. That's no, an interesting that's, that's, question. That's, that's, so what's going to happen, you know, that if your home is still under a mortgage and your carrier writes a check, it's going to be a two-party check. So, I mean, and in some cases, you know, you're trying to work with a contractor. Some banks are easier to work with than others. And, and you know, with Hurricane Michael, I tell you, I had to call so many financial institutions and just, you know, I just to shake them. I said, look, these people are trying to build their house. You're sitting on their money. You've got to release those dollars because, because you know, they'll, they'll write a check for $200,000, but they may only own the bank forty five grand. You know, so so the 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 challenge is sometimes we we've got to beat the banks up, make sure they release the money uh, when they're they're made whole on the mortgage because these people want to they want to put their lives back together. You got to over oversee that, otherwise uh, they they're, they're going to take advantage of some of these people. Oh yeah, so well, so my office that we do all uh, insurance consumer relations and and uh, and helping people with the claims process. So we're doing a series. This is unique to Florida. We've started doing the last few years, but we do an insurance village. And I bring all the carriers in together, and I have my entire team sitting there beside them. And we make them work through the claims process with our with our people. And and what I've been doing here this week, as, as with Governor Santa standing beside me, we have been beating the heck out of all of these predators that come into the market who prey on – because you think about it. Somebody's going to get potentially a two hundred or three hundred thousand dollar check from an insurance company if they can get you to sign a construction management contract, or if they can get you to sign with, a, with an unscrupulous public adjuster. There's these different parasites that will come in because they want to get a piece of that big check, and then you know, th- then it just complicates everything. In some cases, they're reputable, but it's unfortunate that the, the the bad really outweighs the good when it comes to some of this destruction because people are vulnerable and they're making poor decisions because they don't have access to internet or cell phones or to be able to talk to somebody to get good advice. Jimmy Patronus, I like the way you talk. You're protecting uh, the consumer and protect Governor Patterson, who's in our studio here. Governor, would you do the same thing? What would you do? I'd do exactly the same thing they're doing. All I can think of, Jimmy, is President Andrew Jackson once said, "The banks, I'll get the banks before the banks get me. <laughs> Good um, to be with y'all. Thank you. We, uh, we got to take a break. Thank you. you. Do. Keep doing great work. Thank you so much. Thank, uh, thanks, Mr. John. Take care. Thank you. And we're going to go to uh, Lou Dobbs right now to find out how the financial markets are uh, doing. Do and uh, when that? we come back, <laughs> we also got the, uh, Ryan Payne to find out uh, how much of a pain we felt in the markets. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, the markets are up. The markets are down. Thank God it's Friday. Markets can't go down Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, with us today is uh, uh, Ryan Payne. And Ryan, uh, what's going on? Well, I'm with you first off, John. Yeah, I'm glad the market's closed tomorrow because I don't think I can take another day of this pain no pun intended. Yeah. Uh, but we're really in a free-for-all right now, and I think it all goes back to the Fed. And the Fed's just too aggressive policy. I mean, the damage is done. I don't know why they have to insist on continuing to raise interest rates at this aggressive level. It makes no sense at this point. 
and and uh, any, I mean, you've always come up with some gut feelings. I mean, there's an argument going on. Uh, for whom do the bells tell? There's a, there's a couple of Fed people that are saying, well, maybe we're going too fast. And there's others that are saying, keep raising those interest rates. I mean, they're going to bankrupt the country. If they keep going at this pace, you're right. And I think it's dangerous because if you put the economy into another deep recession, we just had one, by the way, uh, two and a half years ago when the pandemic hit and a lot of people lost their jobs. You can't put Americans in that position again. If you get Americans losing their jobs again for the second time in two and a half years, people are going to start losing their confidence in government. And that's what I, I fear the most here is we've already been in a very precarious situation with the pandemic. You know, soft landing here is really important just to keep confidence. You can't keep people out of work twice in a row in such a short period of time. Well, where do you think we go from here? I mean, any chance that the Fed might ease up, or you think that these guys are really uh, stubborn? No, I think they have to blink. I, you know, look, a year ago, Jay Powell was telling us he's not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. He was dead wrong as housing prices were going through the roof, commodity prices were going through the roof. Now you have the opposite, right? The housing market's in a toilet, for lack of a better way of putting it. Commodity prices have plummeted. So I think at some point here, the Fed's going to have to do what they did before. They're going to have to pivot. And if they do and they start to maybe ease up on the raising interest rates, you know, we could still get that soft landing. and We could see things, economic conditions really just change on a dime. I think that's still very high or probable. Um, but they got to start talking softer soon here, John. Well, we were on Fox Business. I know you were on this morning, and I was on after you. And uh, what I've said is there's a war going on between uh, the countries uh, like Russia and OPEC and Venezuela that want $100 oil. At $100 a, a, a barrel, uh, Russia is making a billion dollars a day. And uh, they are hiring uh, mercenary, war, uh, mercenary soldiers. Uh, Judge Weinberg, what was the mercenary? It's called, it's called the Wagner Group. The Wagner Group. And they're hiring, they, they make a billion dollars a day in oil. They're, they're hiring mercenary soldiers to fight the Ukraine war. I mean, uh, and then the other side of the fence is uh, uh, you have uh, uh, our economists that say you must control inflation by raising interest rates. I mean, for whom the bell, for whom do the bells going to toll, uh, Ryan? Well, I appreciate the Hemingway reference there, John. Very high brow today <laughs> on a Friday. Um, Better than full of crap, right? <laughs> look, I mean, the bottom line is, and you called this, oil is down. And by oil coming down, that's a tax relief for the average American. So there are some positives out there, green shoots, as your buddy Larry Kudlow likes to say. So I think inflation is coming down, and wages, in my opinion, have to stay strong. There's just not enough workers for this economy and real wages should be going up the next quarter. So I think the bottom line is the good news is Americans are going to get some relief. They're already getting it with oil prices already coming down. And hopefully you'll tell me they're going to come down to $75 a barrel. I don't know, John. What do you well, think? Well, I, I think I said on Fox this morning that's going to go between 75 and 85 until there is, there's another war or, or uh, the White House opens up North America and more oil. Well, hopefully they wake up and listen to more WABC. That's all I have to say about I that. I agree with you. Now, so you're going to be on tomorrow. You're on with uh, uh, 
I'm with Steve Moore every Saturday, right after Larry Kudlow, the number one show on Saturday mornings between one and uh, from between ten and one, and you're on between one and two. So That's I'm going to be listening to you tomorrow to find out what else you know about which way the market is going. Well, I think we're in extreme right now. Look, prices are plummeting, but as a long-term investor, you've got to get a return over inflation. Sitting in cash, if cash is trash, you're earning nothing. I get invested here. You might have a little bit of pain, no impunded shorter term, but longer term, you're going to win the battle against inflation and growing your wealth. You've got to take advantage of the uncertainty right now. Blood in the streets is an opportunity. Well, I'll be listening tomorrow, 1 o'clock, uh, WABCradio.com, uh, on your iPhone, 77 WABC app, or uh, 770 on your dial. And um, we'll catch up tomorrow. Thank you so much. Love it, John. Have a great weekend. Take care. And we're going to be taking a break. We're going to be coming back with Mario Economo to give us uh, an update. What the hell is going on in uh, in uh, Europe? I mean, the euro is down to 97, 98 cents. And uh, let's take that break first. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. With us today is Mario Economo. He's a uh, banker, uh, Zurich and Philadelphia, and uh, both count the continents. And he's one smart guy when it comes to what's going on in Europe. Uh, Mario, what's going on in Europe? Yes, hi, everybody. I thought I'd start off with something that's interesting that's happening here in America at the moment, in Florida specifically. I remember when Senator Scott, the former governor of Florida, was on your program about a month ago, and he said uh, that Florida is a very interesting case with all the hurricanes that come through there. It'll be interesting to see how they can use electric vehicles, especially when the power goes out, to actually uh, engage in search and rescue. So I think that's a very interesting thing. Uh, very interesting point he raised, and I don't think a lot of people have thought that through, especially in danger zones like Florida or California with earthquakes and forest fires. But um, let's roll over to uh, Europe, where some interesting things have happened today. Of course, everybody knows that Russia has formally annexed the Donbass. That is four regions, uh, which are roughly the size of the state of Maine. The population is around four million people. Um, and in response to this annexation, uh, Mr. Zelensky in the Ukraine has asked for an immediate uh, approval to join NATO. He basically said that right now Ukraine is essentially a de facto member of NATO, but he wants a de jure member to become a de jure member of NATO. And the judge who's there can perhaps better explain what that means. Um, the NATO, uh, the person in charge of NATO uh, said that uh, he basically threw some ice on the whole uh, discussion and said that they needed to take things a step at a time. Obviously, NATO is concerned that if they uh, go ahead and admit the Ukraine, uh, President Putin will view that as an act of war, and he has not uh, backed down on his use of a nuclear weapon. In fact... Chancellor, former Chancellor Merkel in Germany came out and said, as has the CIA, that we need to take President Putin's threats this time regarding use of a nuclear weapon, whether it's tactical or, or strategic, as being very real. Well, to answer your question about de facto versus de jure, de jure means as a matter of law, de facto means based on the facts on the ground. And so what, what they're saying is NATO is acting as if by giving the support they are, uh, with, 
back to uh, the Ukraine that they are, in fact, a member. But there's a certain status you get from having a de jure membership, which is an attack against the Ukraine's attack against all. We bring all those nation states in. Well, the question is, what what uh, what are we going to do? What is Ukraine going to do now that, in theory, uh, Putin has annexed those uh, Well, that's, a, that's an excellent question. It, what Putin is the reason he's annexing it. One, he wants to show some sort of victory, but more importantly, he said, therefore, when the Ukrainians tr- try to surge and get back that Donbass area, that's an act of war against Russia, and it will justify, under his doctrine, using nuclear nuclear weapons. That's the problem. That's why he he did that, and that's a very frightening Correct. prospect. Do you agree with that, Mario? You're absolutely 100 percent right. The judge, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, I do want to say one other thing. I was on on Monday and we discussed the uh, Ital- the new or, or soon to be Italian Prime Minister uh, Maloney, and she came out today actually and she condemned the Russian annexation and she said that she cannot stand behind Russia, which is a completely different tune with respect to what she was saying in the run-up to the election, if you recall, and specifically that uh, Italy had, if she wins, Italy was going to. Re- consider its stance regarding sanctions against uh, Russia and um, uh, seek to reestablish commercial ties with them. So clearly now she's, um, I would say, with both feet firmly planted in the European, NATO, and um, uh, camp. Now let's talk about one other thing which is important also for all your listeners to know, and this is, this is crucial. Uh, there was a meeting again today in the EU where there was a discussion to, dis- uh, to see if they could reach an agreement on an, a cap with respect to natural g- gas prices. Fifteen of the 27 members of the EU want a cap. The principal member that says no to a cap is Germany, and this is going to create big problems. Germany doesn't want a cap because it needs to protect its industry. The problem is there's not enough natural gas in the world now, and Germany is concerned that if there is an energy cap, it's not going to be able to get enough natural gas to be able to drive its industry forward. So it's dragging its heels. What they did agree at the at the EU level was on a across the board a 5% um, decrease in energy consumption during peak hours and countries will have the flexibility to determine what are peak hours and and how that 5% is going to be implemented. They also agreed on a 33% solidarity tax on refineries. So if you own a refinery like you do, Mr. Katsimatidis, uh, but you own it fortunately in America, you would be facing a 33% I'm not, I'm not sure it's tax. fortunate in America right now. Well, think about Don't it. Don't forget, fossil fuel a- business is the enemy of the people of the uh, Washington or the White uh, uh, House. Far left right now. Far left. Yeah, well, uh, tack on 33% tax on top of whatever it is you're facing right now, and that's what you would be looking yeah, at but, in but Europe. Yeah, but all the refineries are going to do is, is pass on the increases to uh, the consumer. Well, I know that. I mean, and this you know is that. stupid. I mean, you can't believe what what stupid uh, uh, actions some of these people are taking. Well, Mario, we're out of time. We have to go to Santo Domato, and um, and thank you for so much for giving us the uh, the facts. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Okay. Have a good weekend. Bye. Me too. And uh, I understand we have uh, uh, New York's one of New York's best senators ever. Senator Alphonse D'Amato and Senator D'Amato, it's Friday afternoon. What's going on? Well, I just saw a game where my alma mater, the freshman football team of Chaminade High School out of Mineola, won their first game of the season, seven to six, with 
40 seconds left. They were trailing 6 nothing. They beat St. Anthony. So, pretty good day. <laughs> and uh, you wouldn't expect me to make that uh, analogy with all of the events taking place in our country. And, and I, I have to tell you, I was very, very concerned with what took place and what is still taking place in, in Florida. My gosh, the devastation, John. It, that's, that's going to go into tens and tens of billions of dollars. It will take years to rebuild uh, some of those communities that have been decimated. Uh, just amazing. And now this is a time... And so far, it looks pretty good for the federal government and the state to work together. They really work together because the people are going to need it. Do you know how many of those homeowners are not going to have the kind of insurance to cover them? And the cost, it'll probably be $60 billion plus. Uh, uh, Just staggering. Just staggering. So my heart goes out to them, and uh, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the economics that this country faces. They just passed a bill that will keep the funding going. And and I, I learned that the deficit will be over a trillion dollars. John, do you know that means we'll be paying more for interest on the national debt? interest than we pay in all of our social social security benefits, Medicare, etc. More money just on interest than the debt. Senator, and it, it's, yeah. uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I want to ask you about uh, the failure of Manchin to get both the permits and they had him in the tank and he voted for the that bill, that infl- so-called Inflation Reduction Act and that impact. Yeah. What do you think yeah. that means going forward? Uh, for this country, that mansion got schnookered, didn't get what he wanted. They withdrew the permits. So you're not going to get more permitting and you're going to have more inflation. What do you say? I I am very much concerned. These jackasses still aren't <laughs> for permitting gas to be developed. Natural gas, my God, is one of the cute, uh, best fuels, one of the cleanest fuels you have. And, and we went from where we were producing enough uh, to meet all of the energy needs. And certainly if we had continued on a development, we wouldn't be in this predicament. And want to know something? Uh, uh, the energy costs have helped fuel this crisis and the huge spending of these jackasses and the open border. The open border. You know, here we have the mayor of New York now beginning to realize, and I'm glad DeSantis sent a few people up uh, up into that fancy area in Massachusetts. It woke up people. It woke up the mayor. We've had a crisis. They've had over 10,000 in the city illegals that came in. They weren't bussed in by the governor of, of, of Texas that were here. And they are bankrupting us. I mean, the fact is you've got to pay for their all of the social services. You've got to pay to send them to school. You've got to pay to house them. And Medical costs for the hospitals? About over, over a million a year. Over two million have come in. And we're not talking about the drug epidemic, the fentanyl. 
that has killed over 200,000 in the past two years, 200,000 of our citizens. And where does it come from? Two places, China and the drug gangs in Mexico. What the hell is going on with us? America, wake up, wake up. Because the policies, the financial policies and the border policies are killing this country. They're killing our people, literally killing them and taxing them out of their homes. Senator D'Amato, what do you think about uh, Mayor Adams putting the migrants on a Norwegian cruise line out there on uh, Staten Island? I mean, what's to stop them from putting them out in uh, Long Island next? Listen, he's desperate. First of all, they were putting him in Long Island, and we've taken in thousands already right and you haven't heard about it that they were flying in mm-hmm. um and flying in to westchester in the dead of night and 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 smuggling them around quietly nobody knew what was taking place well it was and every one of those kids that goes to a long island uh, school district cost the taxpayers the local taxpayers $20,000 in Nassau County to educate a kid, $21,000. The homeowners, the middle-class homeowners are paying those taxes. So, you know, he's got a, a problem. And many of the cities in this country, you can't take in $2 million, and many of them unable to work, many of them kids, many of them don't have the skills. Um, um, uh, to be gainfully employed. And so what happens, they become a huge public charge, both to the local community, the state, and the federal government. So you're wondering about the deficits going up? Well, the border has contributed to that mightily, and, and we should secure the border. And so I say, Mr. President and Congress, Get together, begin to act on behalf of the people. Forget about catering to the left wing of your party or the right wing of your party. Remember the American people. Put them first. And I got to tell you something. We need term limits because too many people in the Congress, Democrats and Republicans, they're so worried about their political career and getting a primary. If you're a Democrat from the left, you're a Republican from the right, that they and they say to themselves, "Oh, I'm so good, you know, they need me," and they compromise themselves. I've seen Republicans compromise themselves because they didn't want to be threatened by the NRA or some other right-wing group, and the Democrats. They have become worse than the Republicans with the left wing of their party running it, and so you have the senators. Uh, marching to the left wing, and you have the congressman. Twelve years is plenty. Two terms as a senator, six terms as a congressman, and then get out and do something else for the country. You know, none of us are so indispensable. And what happens is they get more concerned about staying in office and afraid of losing in the primary, so they give in to the ultra wings of their party. Well, thank you so much, Senator Alphonse Tomato. That music means that the show has come to an end. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for all that you do. And what do we stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and and the American American way. way. God bless New York. God bless America. God bless Florida and now South Carolina from Hurricane Ian. We are praying for everyone. 
It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.